Hey, welcome to the After Now podcast with Tim and George. Give us a listen. What do you have to lose? Because let's be honest, you've wasted time on sketchier stuff than this before. And then also, um, I think it was the, movie, the show Good Doctor, where the kind of showing the way his mind works, but uh, where he everything kind of comes out and is broken out into different diagrams and and because of the way he thinks and um, and there is that where doctors can put on headsets and take a look at the anatomy and say, okay, well the liver's here. And it's behind this and behind that you got to move this vascular piece here and uh, you know there's there's this uh vein feeding that um eventually you know it's it's in so the technology is there and unfortunately in in the medical field there has been a setback because they have had these medical these surgical robots yeah you're you're referring to da vinci Yes. Yep. And great theory, decent execution. But when these hospitals bought these, they didn't understand how much training they needed. Right. And because of this, they really pushed the use of this Da Vinci uh, robot surgery surgical robot and it really messed a lot of people up because the people the doctors were not adequately trained yeah i mean they're you know they're at seven million surgeries right surgical procedures um you know but this thing can do everything you know to, to kind of explain it this allows doctors from one part of the world to really be virtually in a i i'm simplifying this be virtually in a surgical room across the country. And it has um, hands that this system has hands and, and apparatuses that can um, uh, essentially replace the surgeon's hands and he can control it from one end to the other and actually perform the surgery remotely. And they can do uh, robot assisted cardiac surgeries, uh, colorectal, I know general surgery, uh, Head and neck, thoracic. The one thing that gets me a little though is urology, because I'm not going to have anybody come near my junk with that thing. Um, so <laughs> well, it, it, well, and, and that's the thing. If if it's used, it, it by someone that's properly trained on it, the precision is better than a human. Yeah, no question. Well, for sure. And 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 all joking aside, this puts the best doctor uh, available. No, in in you in if you need that doctor, this gives you access to that doctor no matter what. If there's a doctor at Mayo Clinic in Phoenix, and you're in, you know, uh, Tokyo, and you know you need him now, um, this system uh, fills that gap, and uh, it's it's actually very impressive. It is. It just has been you. It hasn't been. There's they there have been cases where some hospitals have felt the the need 
to overuse it to get their investment back. Sure, sure. And and, and here we go again, right, with the profit motive. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, inspired definitely by sci-fi, I mean. And, and no question. And, you know, what's next, right? Um, if, you know, a doctor from 1910 were to visit a state-of-the-art, uh, you know, in, in any of the large metropolitan areas in uh, in Chicago, like Rush, and they were to look and, see, you know, and interact with the doctors and look at the facilities, they would think they're on a different planet. Absolutely. No, no question. Yeah. And, and think of, you know, one of the, the things on crime shows. So I, I think one of the that would help tremendously in solving cases is a faster, cheaper way to do DNA sequencing. Yeah. Because how many times have you heard that, in, especially in big cities, their crime labs are so overloaded <clears throat> and it takes years before some of these DNA samples get tested. Uh, you know, it, imagine one that could do it out in the field. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people forget DNA sequencing is to your point earlier in the show, relatively new. Yeah. Well, we did that. We did that show on, on the Browns chicken and, and it really wasn't a thing in what the nineties. Yeah. Early. Yeah. I mean, the, the first DNA sequences were, were what obtained in the 1970s, but that was by academic researchers. Oh, and, and that, that was like, you had to have millions of dollars and grants to do one sequence. Right. Yeah, exactly. And when did that come about, you know, for law, law enforcement? Oh, man. Um, it was it was 15 years later, you know, um, and. And even now, though, I mean, even now. It, it will solve cases, but as we just said, there's such a demand for it. It's not like in the movies where you get that DNA sample back three days later. Yeah. Um, Unless think, it's a really, really high profile case, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I believe the first time DNA was ever used, DNA fingerprinting was ever used in like forensic science was in 86. And that wasn't even in the US. I think that was in the UK. Mm. So 1986. And, and people might be like, what? Are you serious? Yeah. Wasn't it wrong? No, I mean, no, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, and and, and, we, and we 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 talked about that case in in the early nineties, right. and this the like the smaller U.S. suburban uh, police departments may or may not have kept DNA uh, samples. Uh, in that case, they did because. They had some guy that that was familiar with it and said, "Hey, you're gonna want to hold on to that piece of chicken." Yeah, right. And that's just good thinking and foresight, right? Somebody, yeah. Somebody read an article, you know, a, um, a detective read an article and he said, "You know, someday this might come in handy. Let's 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 uh, let's let's put this let's put this on the side and maybe we'll need it at some point." Yeah, and remember, it took him 14 years to figure it out. I don't know if I'd want to touch 14 year old frozen chicken, but. Yeah, I've eaten worse. Yeah. <laughs> wow. 
So yeah, um, you know, it, it it's it's interesting, and it's um, uh, I think it's really really telling, um, you know, where some of our technologies have come from. Um, what's yet to come? Um, the the narrative that you know sometimes we had to take to get here too. Um, a lot of this, a lot of the stuff that we see in real life today was, you know, made from somebody's dreams, you know, made from, you know, an idea that, you know, they thought, Hey, this would be a really good idea in a show. Let's, let's do this. And, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think a lot of times show writers, show runners, um, people who write the shows, run the shows, people who, I don't, I, I don't think traditionally they, they think back and say, you know, how much can we impact, uh, the future? I think, I do think that, um, the showrunners in Star Trek believe that. I believe that they know that, um, you know, the stuff that they write today could be realistic tomorrow. Um, and, you know, I think the Star Wars, Doctor Who, um, you know, all of those, those big sci-fi franchises, um, I think they're aware of, um, they're now aware of, um, yeah. The impact. Yeah. 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 I, but I, 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 I think to your point, Star they may realize it. I think Star Trek sees it as a legacy and um integral to their their storylines. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it's almost like they're carrying a torch. And I don't know that they I don't know that they uh they they started out that way, but it's it's kind of their um their legacy and their burden right now yeah what what really i wouldn't say ruin ruins it for me but it grounds me let's say is when you look at some of the early photos of all these franchises not just you know not just uh star trek but star wars and you know the early doctor who's which i used to watch on public uh, pbs yeah, 2001 um i yeah 2001 space odyssey a lot of these you know that was that was an amazing movie even though it had all but you know what less than 10 minutes of of uh, dialogue um yeah. i think less than 10 minutes of dialogue is um, that right i th- 2001 space odyssey i'm i'm pretty sure i'll fact check that but you know my point is is that when you look at the sets and the props minus what limited special effects they had, it, it kind of grounds you into, yeah. you know, uh, wow. You know, I mean, um, it, that, that was a cardboard box with, you know, some, you know, with, with some artistry behind it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they, they focused on the story and, you know, I was just thinking one of the things that I, I don't want to say we've hit a plateau for science fiction, but um, I think we're we're taking a little bit of a breather, if you will. Um, and that is because I think future technology is going to be more experiential rather than stuff. So, like we're you know they're talking about like we were talking before about the metaverse and um, that mind link or integrating um online and real reality together it's not going to be stuff it's going to be 
your experience. And I think that that's going to be tough. That's going to be tougher to write stories about. But to your point, we're, you know, one of the greatest science fiction movies of all time, uh, which, you know, 2001 Space Odyssey is often credited as that. Um, and I just looked it up. There is no dialogue in the first 25 minutes of the movie. Um, and uh, nor in the last 23 minutes of the, of the movie, too. So, wow. yeah, you're talking about 88 minutes of dialogue free. Um, you know, we're just watching. We're observing. And so, the story is gripping. The, the if, story you, is, if you if you haven't seen it, you should see it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it, it is considered one of the the one of the greatest movies made. You know, I think it's on the top, probably in the top ten of of yeah. most of most uh, uh, you know sought after movies to watch if you're if you're going into that uh, discipline of of filmmaking. But yeah, uh, and, and inspiring, absolutely. You know, they showed a lot of things that were very inspiring in that. Um, they showed a space station in orbit that was spinning, creating artificial gravity. And people were like, what? How are they, how are people, you know, why is there gravity on that space station? You know, and, and you go and you, obviously there's no internet in the late 60s, early 70s, but you go and read a book or you ask some questions. If you happen to know somebody at NASA, Everyone knows centrifugal force and, you know, you can create artificial gravity by spinning objects in space. And, you know, there's, um, you know, obviously it's touched on in the movie, but, you know, it, it begins the imagination. It begins the thinking process, right? Yes. Yes. It, and there's in a movie like that, there's also subtle pieces like there's there's one part where before they get to the um, to the station where there's gravity um there's a um stewardess i guess mm-hmm. from the shuttle i think it's a um, pan, i think it's pan am actually um i think i think you're right yeah and um everyone's like well how does she not float away she's got velcro on her shoes and velcro was a brand new invention back then yeah and it was heavily used in the space program because uh, for exactly that you can attach things to walls and you know things won't float away yeah and and that's the kind of stuff, but I think right now we are generally overwhelmed with technology. So uh, we just need a, a a group of big thinkers to come out for 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 the next wave of of sci-fi. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go off script for a second. Not that there is a script, or we make no. everyone think there's a script. What was in the last ten years um, the oh shit moment? Um, when it comes to technology for you, what, what opened your eyes and what, what were you like? Wow. That is a great question. Um, (laughs) one of them for sure was GPS. Okay. Um, because like we, we travel long distances. You and your family. Okay. Yeah. Me and my family. Mm -hmm. So we routinely drive. 400 miles one way to, to go to Northern Wisconsin. We have driven the 1400 miles or so down to Florida. Um, and before GPS, you had to have maps. The big, the big Atlas book. Yeah. yeah. So you, you, what, what, you know, and the Rand McNally, Rand McNally or if, uh, 
if you were bougie, um, a couple years we belonged to Motor Club. I believe it was uh, Mobile or Amico. One of those had a Motor Club, and if you're part of the Motor Club, you could tell them what trip you're going on, and they would. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It would your map for the entire trip would be in a little booklet like a spiral booklet okay and they would highlight what roads you should take wow i swear to god that's not that was work. for someone it was um and, and and that's and then for you to be able to have gps that can and there's sometimes it still gets a little weird right <clears throat> but to tell you hey this road is closed this is the, the best route or to give you three routes and this one's the shortest but this one's the fastest right and to have real time there's an accident here is it still there that's pretty amazing to me yeah and I, I get that on my, you know, you, you get that on whatever GPS you have. I get that on the Tesla, uh, the, the navigation screen. It, it's, it's, it's a perfect example of just technology completely changing the lives of not only the individuals, but, you know, here we are um, with uh, interstate shipping, um, optimal routing for, for truck yeah. trucks. And, you know, and, and, you know, what's funny is, um, I, if if I'm not mistaken, um, the I'm gonna I'm gonna fact check myself on this too. But um, early on, there was a a um, a map um, that was ran off of a cylinder. This was back in the Model T era, and mm. as you drove, there was a gearing system. So if you drew, drove, let's say, twenty miles an hour, this this cylinder would spin. A certain speed and then it would have the map so you can see where you're going and all of your options for getting off the road interesting um, wow are, yeah i mean i i remember seeing this um and and uh it's you know obviously it didn't last very long but uh yeah i mean th this is here you go and then we look at science fiction and i've seen you know gps in uh you know <laughs> Night Rider, for God's sakes, you know, Night Rider. Yeah. Hey, how do I get from point A to point B? And Kit would sh you know show him how to get there, you know. And there was no GPS inside of cars; it just didn't exist, exist at that time. Um, so that that's that's a good one. I like that one. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, you, uh, you, you, can, can I throw one more yeah, out there? Yeah, do it, do it. Because it's one of my favorite scenes from a Star Trek movie. Again, we're, we're nerds, okay? That's what it is. We're just nerds. What one of my favorite scenes in star trek it was star trek four the one with the whales yep um they're trying to figure out how to uh i think create a polymer to hold the amount of water and the whales and blah 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 and um i think it was scotty that sits down at a computer terminal and that was made in what 84 yep scotty sits down at a terminal and he goes, computer, give me the formula for, and, and he says whatever. And the guy looks at him because it, 
they're back in 1984. And he goes, doesn't work that way. And he goes, well, what, how do I ask? And he's and the guy hands him a keyboard and Scotty goes, Oh, how quaint. And today you could just ask Siri or whoever Alexa or whatever you could do what Scotty was asking computer. Tell me this. I just thought of that because it's one of my favorite scenes of all time. A, com- a keyboard. How quaint. I actually have to touch something. <laughs> You're, th- that is one of my most favorite scenes in all of Star Trek. Um, so the history of that really quickly, because there's, there's a sick part of my brain that has Star Trek <laughs> trivia. And I, I dare any listener to uh, challenge me on this. Um, it was actually done on a Macintosh. Um, and at the time, you know, Macintosh had some product placement in there. However, what is not very well known is the graphics were actually done on a PC. Were they, re- were, were they really? They were generated on a PC, but displayed on the Mac. Um, oh, that's awesome. And this is part of the original showrunners who, or the, the, the movie uh, producers who wrote the movie Hart Bennett and there were a couple others but yeah um and and they were and Scotty was giving um the the manager of the polymer company the formula to transparent aluminum that's right and then it changed the history because they they had that at an earlier time than they normally would have correct and, ah, that's and, right. and Bones asked Scotty, you know, is this a great idea? Do you think we should be doing this? Do you think this is a good idea? And Scotty, just like what you said, said, well, how do we know he didn't invent it in the first place? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I, but, I thought... but, but to me, that, that you know, t- Tim, we've lived through that change. Yeah. Um. We've lived through that change, and um, I, I got to tell you something about that. And I love that you brought that up because my mind didn't even go there for this this episode. But in April of 2015, there was a, a press release from the U.S. Naval Research Laboratory 30 years after that scene was released in the movies saying that the U.S. Naval Research Laboratory actually came up with a glass material that was very close in strength and durability to transparent aluminum and it was chemically uh, uh, very similar to aluminum being transparent no way it is a, a well written uh it is a very well documented true and, and right now you can you can actually get it you can actually um um order it's orderable they use um this uh, uh this material um and it's used in in naval ships and um in scientific research uh applications oh so there there is a patent issued by the US patent office for essentially transparent aluminum that was thought of in science fiction 30 years prior that's awesome so there you go that that is a 100% perfect example of um yeah of uh of uh 
you know, um, uh, us, us mimicking science, science fiction, fiction. Yeah, science fiction yeah. coming to life, baby. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, and what what's uh, and I'm going to take a step back for a second. The name of the physical map, uh, it was from the 1930s, an Italian company called uh, Iter Auto. It's I T E R dash Auto, manufactured by an Italian company. It was. Hey. Yeah, hey, um, was a um, a device that um, was set up, there was a gearing on it, and it had a, a piece of paper with a map, and as you drove, the map moved and um, gave you directions uh, on your route. But ultimately, the project was stopped because Italians don't want you to know where they're going. Ayo. None of your business. None of your business. <laughs> didn't didn't Tony like take his his Escalades and uh or it was yeah, his his Cadillac uh his Cadillacs to some shop and they pulled all the GPS hardware out of there. Wasn't that the first thing he did every time he got a new car? I believe he did. Yeah. <laughs> damn damn FBI. <laughs> yeah, now all they need to do is you're going to have your phone with you, right? Yeah. Yeah. How do you stop that? Right. And, uh-huh. and, and there you go. I mean, now we've, we've, you know, apexed into the smartphone, right. And <coughs> excuse me, really what was, um, the, the tricorder now it, it doesn't have a lot yeah. of sensors on it, but it gives you a wealth of information and the Star Trek tricorder was technically tethered to the Enterprise. So, you know, a handheld smartphone is technically tethered to the cellular network. And it downloads and gives you plenty of information. But it's funny because our smartphones, um, you know, whether it be Apple or whether it be Android, they have uh, altimeters in them. they got pressure sensors. they got uh, temperature sensors. They've got, photo, uh, you know, they've got cameras in them, light sensors. There's a lot of things um that you can do with these phones um that essentially turns them into mini tricorders definitely we're not there yet but we're getting there well and think of it this way if you as an extension of the phone um is as an apple product or some of these other products um your smartwatch can tell your pulse ox your your um your blood or, or your heartbeat, you know, I'm sure some of them have uh, blood pressure and yeah. Uh, right. So I mean, the, the Apple watch can um, uh, tether to your phone and give you information about, you know, cardiac condition, heart, yeah. heart rate, you know, all that stuff. So for sure. So um, it, it might be a little different, but the, the phone could be the tricorder in that the, Sensors are all separate pieces that are connected through Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. Right. You know, I, I agree. I, I agree a hundred percent. I think in the last ten years, the biggest technology wow for me, and I've been around a lot. You know me. I'm I'm a junkie. Yeah, 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 yeah. I um, note to our listeners: I've been trying to get George to go to the Consumer Electronics Show for the last probably 15 years that's very true maybe he will go in 2023 who knows i i i I, yes wait and see he may go (laughs) that will be on an upcoming episode but you know i mean i've seen everything from um the 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 innovation of drones i mean drones coming out now we're seeing industrialized drones that can do um you know uh geographical topographical mapping of of uh farms and 
and uh, you know um, uh, terrain for for terraforming certain areas, um, understanding, you know, uh, drainage and, and, and all that stuff. Um, we, we've gone through the, uh, revolution innovation of, of computers. I mean, we've, I stood right next to and took a picture of uh, a quantum computer in IBM, um, and talked to one of the scientists, uh, from IBM that was in the, which which is in their quantum computing division of of IBM amazing people um, and you know I, I've seen a lot of technology but um, the biggest thing that basically almost made me shit my pants was wa- yeah. watching SpaceX's rocket land really yeah I mean watching. Um, the second stage of a SpaceX rocket come down from orbit and land itself on a pad without exploding. And look, I get trial and error, right? That stuff's that's that's very hard. But if you followed SpaceX from the beginning when they were shooting, you know, they were three or four rockets away from, you know, going into bankruptcy. And now yeah. now they're launching payload once every two months, maybe even more often now, yeah. but landing a reusable second stage, landing two of them side by side at the same time. I mean, that's just showing off at this point, but it is, you know, you know yeah. what that absolutely. Uh, and it's funny because I had heard that <clears throat> the reason they did it, that the re- went to reusable rockets was because they had to, and, and the reason NASA never did is they had such a big budget, they didn't have to reuse their stuff. And so it was never a design requirement to reuse, let's say, a rocket. With the exception of the shuttle, everything else was disposable. Yeah, for sure. And it was very expensive to use the shovel shuttle too. Oh yeah, um, but but yeah, no. That I I I can only imagine that that had to be awe inspiring. I mean, just seeing those two together, you know, just crazy. Yeah. Oh oh, for sure. And you know what's funny is, a lot of people might be like, well. You know, how does this relate to the show? I mean, it absolutely relates to the show. You know, when you look at uh, movies um, and TV shows like, you know, let's take Star Wars and, 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 and Star Trek. They're either transporting down or using shuttlecraft that are reusable going up and going down. Yeah. Um, you know, it wouldn't be affordable for uh, for humans to be able to travel to other planets just to leave payload behind because they have to drop rockets off and, and go back up. And yeah. This is all reusable stuff. Plus, you know, we're polluting an alien planet. We'd piss them off, too. So, yeah, yes, that wouldn't be very nice. Um, you know, spe- you know, Elon and, and the guys at, at SpaceX, they, they close know personal friends of the show, close personal friends of the show. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, I always forget to, to bring that up. Um, they <laughs> They, uh, you know, they, they get it. And you're absolutely right. This is a cost measure. Um, if they can bring the price down and use reusable for, uh, you know, second stages um, and recover hardware, um, that just makes space travel more obtainable. Right. Now, you, you know what, what was, what I thought was a really cool concept and I, I think it, it, it definitely falls into um, 
science fiction was in Avatar. Mm-hmm. And we, we talked about Avatar um, last week in terms of the plant thing and, and all that. But I think, think about this. If they did have avatars, so they would go into their little cryotubes or whatever right, right. and be hooked up, and then there would be a, uh, I don't know, robot or whatever, but basically a fake version of them of them that they would go down and interact on the planet. Right. That seems like a great idea for space travel. It does seem like a great idea for space travel. Um, you know, and and I, I'm I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. No, but no. Yeah. If you remember when we talked to uh, our novelist Paul, yep, he was saying that it is speculated that the Greys may be Avatar-like creatures. Yeah, and to your point, I think. You know, I think it's good when there's an unknown, uh, meaning, you know, do we have to send humans <clears throat> to Mars on the first try or could there be an yeah. avatar to do that? Let, let's just be honest. We will be sending humans to Mars on the third or fourth try. Probably. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But but we, when we venture out to the edge of the solar system, like out towards uh, Pluto or the, the Copper Belt or, you know, which is the asteroid belt that that that's around our solar system you know um what what uh do we really need humans out that far in in the first iteration could we could we build something like an avatar and have them um be the analog for humans until it becomes safer well and if you look at the robots being created at like boston dynamics and honda and 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 tesla uh, in Tesla, right. it, I mean, within the last few years, they've gone from having to be wired to be and walking around to doing parkour. Yeah, those those dogs at Boston Dynamics scare the crap out of me. Yeah, they are kind of, yeah. They're, they are, they are cool. They are cool. I want one. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't have the. $250,000 or whatever it costs, but you know, he, it's, it's ability to maintain its stability, um, you know, to walk up and down, you know, very, uh, inhospitable terrain. I know the military, I believe the military used them in Afghanistan, uh, to carry heavy, um, uh, you know, bags and equipment through the back, back hills, um and you know just and i to, believe they're being used by the border patrol that wouldn't surprise me and you know as as an augmentation to carry equipment you know i don't have a problem with that or cameras the, or right. cameras yeah <laughs> the, the minute you go and put weapons on them that's when i start having a problem with that kind of stuff uh, yeah agreed uh, but you know i'm gonna keep my personal feelings uh about that on the side for right now yeah well um i i, I agree i just don't know you know, <laughs> you know that uh, if it's if our government's not doing it, someone else is. Now we're getting into the Iron Man conversation, aren't we? We've we've graduated. Kind of, yeah, kind of. We've graduated to to uh, Disney and and Marvel, but even Disney and Marvel. I mean, and look, I mean, Marvel has been around 
you know, uh, since the the sixties, I mean, late fifties even. And Oh gosh. I mean, what's been, uh, that's all science fiction and everything in there, you know, I mean, what a great concept, right? An Iron Man suit, um, you know, and, and, uh, and all the other technologies that have come out of the Marvel, uh, universe and now the cinematic universe, um, you know, People laugh. People say, "Oh, wow, that that's that's a little bit more comic book, right?" Yeah, but <laughs> you say that, but you know, there are planes, there are trains, there are automobiles in yeah. that. That I was I was looking at that car the other day that Fury was driving that was automated. He was talking to it, and it had all these countermeasures and safeties on there. I can see government agencies um, having stuff like that probably within the next ten to fifteen years. If it's not already in prototype, if it's not, yeah, if it's not already in prototype, I agree. You know, a blade hey, of a blade of armor, stuff like that. Um, yeah, for sure. And that's the with every day that goes by, the stuff is becoming more and more realistic. Yeah, yeah. Even what's even more realistic is, and you and I have had many conversations about this across multiple shows the ai you know jarvis right um yeah and you know where ai is going there's there's been some recent news uh you know about um you know uh ai uh kind of doing its own thing and uh, you know letting the genie out of the proverbial bottle in, in some yeah. of these labs uh in palo alto but and i'm not going to go into that in this show but you know jarvis you know um is a good example of of ai ran ran right Right. You know, somebody, a friend who could help. Right. But then he turned into what that guy. Right. That guy. We're we're, going to do a Marvel. uh, Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I I can't. The red guy. Yeah. (laughs) This is going to be fun. I'm going to let him squirm for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But but every day it becomes less and less, like, unbelievable. Right, right. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I mean, he, uh, it's, it, it gets to the point where, um, you know, it gets to the point where, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the science fiction becomes science fact. And, you know, uh, things like AI, like Jarvis... Um, uh, you know, which was the AI in in um, in Iron Man, they they get very close to being real, and and yeah, and, you know, when do you separate reality from from, you know, or fiction from nonfiction? It's it's it's, it's wild, man. There's a there's a lot of cool stuff out there, and and, um, and that and that's that was kind of my point of, of getting to. We just, we're not keeping up. Our imaginations are not keeping up with reality. Right. You, right. you know? And you watch these Marvel movies and you you kind of go into an overload a little. Yeah. Um. So Jarvis is the AI. He turns into Vision, who is the, the, char- the, the red guy character, um, <laughs> who is the, who is the f- physical uh, uh personification of of jarvis and vision um and um wanda witch i call her i call her wanda witch right but wanda you know um they have a relationship and 
um, and uh, you know they uh, they go and make beautiful TV together. So they do, um, yeah. WandaVision, if you haven't seen it, it's it's a great show. Yeah, yeah. Interesting characters. Um, uh, Scarlet Rich, by the way, is one of my one of my most favorite um, uh, characters. I, I like her her strength and her wit, and uh, um, the fact that she's uh, you know. Um, she, she doesn't. She doesn't. She's hot, yeah, but she doesn't put up. She doesn't put up with anybody's shit either, and I like that. No, interesting beginning though with her brother. Yeah, right. And, and very and lost the accent a little bit. <sighs> yeah. Um. For those of you who who uh, uh, watched all the movies, you'd notice that. I don't know how Stan Lee felt about that at the time, but uh, yeah, I mean. Um, she lost the accent, and they were originally from, you know, uh, uh, Eastern Europe, uh, the Eastern Europe region. Yes. And uh, she lost the accent. I thought the accent was kind of sexy, to be honest with you. I, I thought it was. I thought it was really good, and I, I think that that is a that is a perfect case of a character, and, and part of it is the job the actress did with it, but also the the writing uh, and the, the role of her as a character having so much charisma that she went from a backing character to a more, much more prominent character. Yeah. I thought that was one of the strengths. And I continue to think that that's a strength of, uh, of Marvel is um, just when you think uh, that there is a small role to be played by a character in the background, um, Sooner or later, they become you know a major uh, character in the franchise, and there's an entire story arc or character arc written for that um, one person, and it's it's amazing. There's a book that was published. I actually gave it to, um, I actually bought it for my friend one year. Um, I bought it for John, um, who uh, lives back in Chicago. It's all of the characters or all of the known characters of the Marvel universe, and the book is a, a really nicely, um, uh, you can get it at Barnes & Noble. I think there's like a, a di- third edition out by now, and it's thick. And you go through it, and, I mean, it's got like, you know, 10-point font. We're talking about a book that's about the size of, you know, early Bibles in like the 1400s. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> and you go through it, and it just opens up, and there's hundreds upon hundreds of characters. So... Point well taken, and yeah, I mean, but going back to it, you know, um, the technology that's uh, uh, in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, um, coming coming to an airport near you soon. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. I, I yeah. thought that was I thought that was cool. I think Tony Stark always had the fun toys, and uh, you know, um, what was really funny about uh, you know Stark's dad. Um, and something that I always liked is, you know, one of my most favorite scenes in all of uh, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, or what's what's referred to as the MCU, is mm-hmm. um, when Tony is kind of confronted with an issue. He can't figure out how to save his own life. Um, his blood is is yeah yeah, and he, he's and Fury, Nick Fury, um, you know, and uh, um, Black Widow. <clears throat> hot um black yeah. widow um they go to you know basically tony's house and they basically say get up off the ground uh you know 
brush yourself off and and act like a man a little. Stop stop feeling so bad for yourself. Right. Oh, by by the way, here's a box of your dad's old research. Right. Like thanks, guys. You could have given to me this before. Right. 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 So so he's going through this box, and I I think one of the most coolest things, one of the most coolest scenes in all of it is him sitting there and he's I, I think he's sitting back in like an Ames recliner and he's drinking maybe some whiskey I'm talking about Tony Stark and he's looking through these old notes as his dad is on a black and white screen on a projector it's like an uh, uh you know just like one of these old projectors and he's he's um going through iterations of um doing advertisements for um this park um this 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 science uh exhibition um back in the 1960s quote unquote and to me it feels very disney to me it feels very walt disney very much and and it kind of it's kind of like a disney world um diorama if you will it is it's kind of like epcot center on crack or epcot on crack absolutely and you know the film kind of stops and you know his father does what you and i often do uh on this show we kind of talk out of script and <laughs> he's basically all of a sudden talking to his son and he basically says you know you are my greatest invention um you are um you know i love you there's there's no nothing else on earth that i love more than you and but he says i personally live in a time where my technology isn't mature enough to do what I needed to do. And hopefully by the time you yes. and I'm, I'm, I'm obviously ad libbing. I'm, I'm, I'm modifying from the original script, but you know, he's saying, hopefully by the time you see this technology would have caught up with you, us, the human race, and you can do these things that I really wanted to do, but are just beyond my capabilities right now. And, but that, but I think that's true for every generation. And I think that absolutely captures the absolute essence of our show here is yes. science fiction looking forward and and saying, I'm going to throw a dart at the wall. And if I hopefully hit it right, then I'll be close to where human the human race will be down 30, 40 years away. Right. Yeah. And I think it's so important that we set the proper goals. Because like, like we were saying, you know, I, th I think that there's a little bit of a pause in science fiction, partly because we're we're so impressed with what we've got right now. Right. Um, but it's less, I think we have to focus less on the stuff and more on the quality of the human experience. And I think that there are some people um, that are trying to change that human experience and augment it with the technology. And I'm not, I'm not sure that's the best way to go about it, but I think that's what they're trying to do at least. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think they, I, I think you're right. Um, and again, I don't know that that is the right course. Right. Neither do I. Um, because it, it, in, in some respects, it seems like we're, definitely progressing forward and it seems like we're falling back yeah and, sure. and and you know at, at the time of this show um take a look at virtually every city and people are 
acting more barbaric towards each other. And, and it's almost like we're as, as a overall world losing our humanity a bit. There's less remorse, less um, shame, you know? Right. And, and I, I don't know if the two things are related, but if the technology can help us treat each other better, I think that's a huge win. Yeah, I don't, know if I don't know if they're related. I definitely take the point. I don't know if they're related. I, I you know... In the history, at least as long as I've been around, 47 years, I'm getting old, um, I've always seen science and technology take a different path than politics and and um, and leadership in, 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 whether it be good leadership or bad leadership, leadership in general. You know, case in point, the the war in the Ukraine right now, as we talk, we're going into is it the fifth month of the war in Ukraine? And yeah, I think it is. Yeah, and it, tragic, horrible. Um, you know, uh, we on the show are friends of the Ukrainian people, and and you know we 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 don't condone violence at all. But one of the things that I can say is that um, you know uh, you know, and I can't speak because I'm not there. But, you know, uh, the Russian cosmonauts who are up on the space station and, and the American astronauts who are up on the space station, they're doing their jobs. And at the end of the day, there's camaraderie. And these people have known each other for a long time. You know, the, the Russian cosmonauts and the American astronauts, they're, they're up on the space station. They're doing their own thing. Um, yeah. and, and they've known each other prior to this war. And, and there's a long history there. And... and they're not going to change who they are. They're they're people no. of science. They're scientists. There's there's professional respect there, and that 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 will always continue. You know, and whether you know the United States, uh, Canada, uh, Australia, ch- Japan, or, or or Russia does something stupid, you're always going to have this, um, you know, university university education. People of education are always going to collaborate, and yeah. you know I, I agree with you. Um, I agree with you that, you know, um, there has been a decline in common sense, I believe. But I think that, you know, people of science, uh, people who want to move that human experience forward, I still believe there are people of good human caliber, Russians, Ukrainians, Americans, people from the United Kingdom. Um, and, And I think that they're going to, you know, in the greater scheme of things, move that human experience forward. Yeah. You know, they're not going to let their narrative change. And so they're going to move forward and continue the effort of 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 moving human progress. And and I think I think this is a I hope this is a bump in the road. I don't mean to minimize the war, but when you look at the overall scope of it, I hope that we get past this and we continue to innovate. And, you know, the the um, collaboration internationally continues. You know, you bring up a really good point. And if there is a way for technology to bridge this because um, I've just seen and I've read and I've heard this story over and over again, where one group really hates uh, and, and wants to kill another group. But when the individuals within that group communicate, they don't feel that way at all. Right. It's kind of what you were saying about like what's going on in the space station, right? Yeah. So if through 
technology, there could be more of that one-on-one interaction. Um, governments take a lesser role. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, and, I agree with that. No, I agree. And, with that. And, I, and I think that's one of the great promises of or great potentials of technology is to get rid of old fashioned hierarchies and have people connect on more of an individual to individual basis. You know, it's it's funny you bring that up because <clears throat> a ongoing theme across multiple science fiction franchises um you know uh a lot of science fiction franchises is um humans don't learn to get along with one another until they realize they're not alone in the universe Mm. And, and when they learn that they're no longer the only beings in the universe and there's another external threat then they seem to put aside their differences and, you know, figure this shit out. I mean, it's, uh, I'm not saying this is an old classic movie, but it's an old favorite movie of mine, um, Independence Day with Will Smith. Um, oh, yeah. That, that's a really good example of that. Um, you know, or Star Trek has always had that narrative, you know, uh, when World War Three happened, there were what they call the eugenics wars. And then, yes. and then, you know, um, at that point, the, the, when the Vulcans landed, people of Earth decided to, you know, uh, form one essentially government and and figure figure it out. You know, yeah, it changes who us is. And so the, the definite, <laughs> but you know, I, you know, f- following suit, right? Um, does that have to happen? I mean, has has science fiction nailed? the human narrative in order for us to really become, you know, I use this quote unquote, right. Air quotes to become that utopian society. We all long after, do we have to realize we're not alone? And I, I wonder if that's the, if that's the apex of science fiction, um, you know, and uh, uh, you know, it being the telling story of our future. Right. And, you know, I, you point something really interesting out, like in even in the Star Trek narrative. Um, first, it was us, different countries, and then there was, we knew that we weren't alone. So then, us was the Earth, and then us was the people in the Federation of Planets, and then the people that were not in the Federation of Planets were kind of them, right? And so, but it's always a redefinition of who us and them are. Right. It's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> there was a, um, there was a episode of Star Trek. Um, this was the original, this was the original series and the original series, um, uh, had an episode where there were aliens that had one half of their face was black and one half of their face was white. Um, I don't know if you remember this this uh, in in the original series. Do you remember it? Kind of, kind of. I, it, it sounds familiar. Let that be your last battlefield, season three, episode fifteen, where you had these characters who had on the right side of their face it was black, and on the left side of the face it was white, and everyone, um, you know, everyone 
was like, well, you know, hey, um, I identify with one side of the color, but our faces are still separate. Left side or right side, we have different color faces, but we're different people. And it was kind of the <laughs> thumb your nose at, you know, racism at the time and, you know, the the status quo at the time of just how silly racism was. So, yes, my point in bringing this up is you've seen science fiction really challenge the status quo throughout throughout time, whether it be Star Wars, Star Trek, Doctor Who, um, you know, even um, you know, Babylon five or any of these other series. And it's, it's always been fun to watch the, the science fiction thumb their nose at the status quo and challenge it to change. And I think you'll see a continuation of that. And, and, and that to me, uh, um, uh, gives me hope at least. Yeah. The message within the story, the message right? within the story. Absolutely. 